0: This morning, if you would take your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, we have the great privilege to close out a book together. Philippians chapter 4, and this morning we'll be again reading verse 14 down through the end of the chapter, if you would stand in honor of reading God's word with me this morning Philippians chapter 4 and beginning at verse 14 yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church entered into partnership with me In giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Finishing a good book can sometimes leave you in a daze. You end the book, close it, set it on your chest or your lap, breathe in a sigh of contentment, maybe satisfaction of a story ended well, maybe a little frustration that didn't end as well as you think it could have ended. You spend hours with those characters in a book, You often know them from their birth, hear their story, hear their innermost thoughts, see them change throughout the story and grow to love them, understand them, feel a common bond to them, empathize with them, and then it's over. And you're left with a feeling of what now? This is so much the human experience that Douglas McKelvey put a prayer for, ending a good book in his book on liturgies. I'm going to read part of it for you this morning. It's a lament upon the finishing of a beloved book. I bet many of you never thought of something such like that. He says, I am stirred and saddened, O Lord, in coming to this tale's end, to bid farewell and return now from my sojourn in that storied place where longings for something more than the life I lead were awakened. It is in the receding glow of that small, bright sorrow that I now linger Let it do its work in me, inviting me to dig beneath these fresh stirred longings, to see that their roots are not at last a longing for the places depicted in these pages, but are in truth profound and holy wounds yearning for a lost garden and a more perfect city where justice and righteousness are restored and harms are healed and losses redeemed and love proved true and earth and heaven reconciled. What I feel is, at its heart, a homesick hope for a place of unbroken communion with my Creator and with His people and with all of His creation. What I most desire is to open my eyes and find that, for the first time in my life, I am home and breathing the wild winds of my native land. So, of course, my heart aches each time I receive these beautiful Distant rumors of that far country. Of course, I do not want such a story to end, for it has wedged open for me a way like a window through which I have glimpsed a vision of things more as they will one day be than as they are now in these hard and sorrowing lands of our exile. Thank you, oh my God, for loving me enough that you would rouse my deepest desires again through story appointing these longings as true signposts planted in a war-torn and cratered landscape, reminding me that all of history is leading at last to a king and a kingdom, and pointing me ever onward toward his righteous and eternal city. May I return now from the world of this book to the daily details of my own life with truer vision and fiercer hope, trailing with me remnants of that coming glory I have glimpsed again, in story. It's beautiful. Showing the pictures of what can be seen in shadows and glimpses. He is not saying, he is saying it is not the book that is the goal or the end, but the book that hints at, whispers to us, opens our eyes a little bit more to see and long for the land that is to come. Whether that's Rivendell, Aslan's country, or the fo- family homestead. Or sitting on the floor by your grandpa as he goes on about stories from his childhood. These all for good reason stir our hearts for something better. Something true and something lasting. So as we finish Philippians this morning, there is so much that we have heard over the last 11 months. So many ways of seeing in this letter to an ordinary church how the gospel transforms everything. This morning we will see how the gospel transforms our giving Now, you may say, hey, we talked about money two weeks ago. Let it go, pal. You get one a year. Well, that is the beauty and the curse of expositional preaching. We are walking through the text of Scripture book by book as God leads us, not skipping hard passages. Two weeks ago, we looked at contentment, but this Sunday is on giving and how God uses your giving to bring joy to others To grow you in your faith, to remind us of the bigger story, and to be used to bring many into his kingdom. On a topic that is so fraught with awkwardness, oh no, the pastor is talking about money again. And the other pastor made comments about how to give in our church earlier. Is this all they talk about? We are not going to let it be awkward for us to do it. Money is real. We use it. We need it. It's your precious for some of you. But it is only temporary. I cannot imagine that which is the root of all kinds of evil will be part of the new creation. As Paul ends this letter, we look at the grace that is giving. We look at how God uses money and our hold on it or our loosened grip with it to be able to teach and instruct us and to be able to further his kingdom for his glory. Paul ends this letter pretty autobiographically. So we want to see several ways in which he references money and the grace that is giving our money away. Five ways we'll see this morning about giving. One is giving greatly encourages others. This will take up the bulk of the verses that are there, but giving greatly encourages others. Notice beginning of verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no other church entered into the partnership you had with me. You shared my trouble with me. You partnered with me from the very beginning. Even when I was in another city in Thessalonica, you partnered with me. You sent help for my needs. They shared his trouble. The church in Philippi saw a need, and they met it. It's easy to share good times with somebody. Hey, let's celebrate. Things are going well. Let's go out and enjoy this time together. But when someone's in a tough spot, a true friend, someone who genuinely loves you, puts themselves in it with you, and walks through that difficult time with you, caring for you, supporting you, and they did that for him. They were here to say to him, we are not leaving you. We love you. We see your hurt. We see your need, and we will help to meet it. And that is greatly encouraging, isn't it? No doubt you've experienced the same. With someone who saw a need that you had, and they met it. The Philippian church partnered with Paul from the very beginning. Sometimes it can be hard to get people on board supporting you in the beginning of an endeavor. Sometimes somebody can respond, I I hear you want to do this, start a business, go off to school, whatever it might be, and uh, when I see you put in some good effort, when I see that you really have your mind in this thing, then I'll get behind it, then I'll back you. But somebody who backs you from the beginning, who says, I don't need to see fruit of this first. I love you. I see a need. I want to help you. We're going to care for you. The Philippian church jumped in in the beginning, the beginning of the gospel, he says. As the gospel continues to spread throughout that land, this church jumped on board from the very beginning. This church was one of his first supporters, and he never forgot that. Even when he's serving other churches, they support him. You know, they could have said, oh, you know, those Thessalonians, they can help you when you're there. You come here and you help us, well, then we'll put the bill for you We'll put you up in lodgings. We'll take care of your food and your other needs that you might have. But when you're helping other churches, let them help you, please. Our money can only go so far. We really don't need to pick up the burden of others. But they didn't do that. They didn't compare themselves to others. They didn't look and say, somebody else should pick up the tab for this. They saw a need and they met it. God had given to them and they gave to Paul. As simple as that. And that brought great encouragement to Paul. Grace giving knows no comparison. How much is anybody else giving? Are we giving the right amount or percentage that other people do? Is, is this about what people should give? Or what does the bookkeeper or treasurer think of us in the amount that we give? Grace giving knows no comparison. It, it gives based on what God calls you to give. And it gives knowing that the one calling you to give fully knows what's coming in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. The one who has given you all things is the one who calls you to give what he has currently given to you. Grace giving knows no comparison. Grace giving sees the benefits of giving to others to meet their needs. He says, you have all filled me up. I have all that I need. They gave as God, by his grace, moved them to give, and that met his needs. I'm all set, he says. He's told us earlier, I know how to have a little and how to have a lot, but I'm good right now. I've got enough. You have filled me up. Epaphroditus came and gave me this gift from you all. And it is so kind. And I am all set. It is nice for those who are needing help or needing support to let those supporting them know when they no longer need any help. When missionaries reach their goal, which now are set by missionary agencies instead of those going themselves, but when they let churches know. We've received. We're full. We're all set. Thank you so much for your kind generosity and giving. We'll let you know if anything changes. Often missionaries are the ones who never get a raise. Cola doesn't exist on the mission field. A missionary as a church can say, hey, we'll support you for $250 a month. And some go, man, that's really generous. And how much are they raising? Wow, that's quite a bit to live in a foreign country. And this is so great that we can support them. So many churches coming together, individuals and Thirty years later, you look at the budget. How much are we supporting them? Still two fifty. Say, say what? How many of us would still be working for the minimum wage we started when we worked? You know, I was just with some other pastors, and a pastor from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, said uh, we were talking about minimum wage and stuff, and he said in Pennsylvania the minimum wage is seven dollars and something. And when he said seven dollars, I, cu- I quit listening. Seven dollars. I made five something when I was a teenager and able to work. Kids nowadays are making 16, okay? So think about, if I was still making $5 an hour, if you were still making three twenty-five or whatever it was when you first started working and never got a raise, and so the missionary being able to give to them according to their need, hey, we see you had another child. Does that raise your level of need? We have seen inflation here. And maybe where you are as well, does that raise your level of need? Can we be of assistance to you to give according to need, not according to tradition, not according to what, this is just what we do, but according to need. They gave to Paul, and that was incredibly encouraging uh, to him. Things can get so weird or awkward when we begin to talk about money. People can look at it and say, it's mine. It's mine. I'll decide how I want to spend it. You can't tell me what to do with it. I've earned it. And here Paul is saying, God has, I had needs, and this church met them. It's as simple as that. It's not awkward. It's need being met by people who are giving out of the grace that God has shown to them. All of a sudden, though, when we begin to talk about money, and, and, and sometimes the awkwardness or the weirdness can come up, or sometimes even anger Why are we talking about this? Why do churches have to press so hard on this? Why are they calling people to give of their money? Why does God want this from His people? We can begin to see the heart by the way that we respond. We see our heart by the way we give, by the way you keep your money, or by the way you act in regards to it. All of these things are mere circumstances that we begin to see what really is going on within us so that we come to number two, verses 17 through 19. Giving not only brings great joy to others, but it also grows your faith. Giving grows your faith. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I am not seeking the gift alone. Uh, If we're honest, a lot of us would say, thank you so much. I love the gift. I was really hoping you were going to give me something. He says, I wasn't seeking the gift, but there was more important, and that is that you are growing in Christ, that you are expressing, bearing spiritual fruit. The money is not the point, Paul says. I wasn't primarily concerned about the money or my needs. I wasn't thinking about the gift, but what I care about more is your growth in Christ. I want to see you bearing spiritual fruit. The fruit of the Spirit being seen in the Philippians is more important to Paul than having the gift that they sent him. Would we be able to say the same? In a very real sense, they are the gift. God doesn't need us or our money to establish or to complete His kingdom work, but you need to give your money to see God working in and through money through him to complete the kingdom work in you we need to be ones who are giving because our hearts need regularly to practice the releasing of what god has given to us back to him and to his kingdom to hold loosely what it is that god has given to us to steward it wisely or else in the parable that jesus gives of the talents we become the one who says i was so afraid that i just went and i dug a hole in the ground and i stuffed it in there steward it poorly, but being able to say, God, you have given much. We want to steward what it is that you have given to us. Giving grows your faith. Giving all of a sudden says, God, you have called me to give this. You have led us to give in this way. And we are trusting that your promises that we sang about, your promises are true, that you will keep your word. You will meet our needs. Paul wasn't concerned as much about his needs as he was. The people, the Philippians and their faith, He was more excited about the Philippians' sanctification, their growth in Christ. This growth, a process, over time, slow growth that happens as the believer regularly, week in and week out, is sitting under the nourishing milk of the Word of God. Week in and week out is obeying in small ways, submitting to the will of God. In small ways, again and again, going, I don't see how this is growing me, but I'm doing it because God is calling me to do it. And he is my king, I am not. And that submission, day after day, that obedience, time and again, slowly and surely grows the church. And Paul knows that that is the result. That's the eternal fruit that will result. Uh, We don't get to take our 401ks with us to heaven. But we do get to take and we do see the fruit that has been added to our account. That is what is seen. That is what is known. That is the measure of judgment that we are held to. What is it that we have done with what God has given to us? Earlier in Philippians, Paul prayed for the church in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. His prayer is that their love would abound more and more. With knowledge and all discernment so they may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. In this way, he's saying, I hope to see the fruit that comes from this, the fruit that increases to your credit, fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus, that as you obey him, that as he says at the end of Philippians 1.11, that it would be to the glory and praise of God. All of that by your obedience to God and following what He calls you to do in giving. Instead of seeing the joy of giving it to those in need, to those serving the kingdom and to the local church, God's economy does not require coins, instead He cares about our hearts. And money is an opportunity to see how someone will steward what God has given to them. The question to ask is not, how much do I give? The question to ask is, do we trust God and His Word? Do we believe him when he says, give, and it will be given to you? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you, Luke 6. Do we believe that? And if we do, we would give and give trusting in the one who promises to take care of our needs. Giving grows our faith. But number three, Giving reminds you of the goal of all things. Giving reorients you into the larger story. Giving reminds you of the goal of all things. Look at verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What an incredible doxological statement at the end of this section that Paul is giving. Here near the end of the letter, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The goal is not an incredible financial portfolio. The goal is not a safe and secure retirement or financial security. And We make a lot of excuses about how we have to be good with our money so that we can help others or be stingy now so we can really live it up later. Save now. Give it all away later. However, if the pattern of your life while you are working is to save and spend only on yourself, then that pattern is likely to be lifelong. It's what you've taught yourself for 40 years of working. So be generous now. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Give to God's kingdom now. Don't wait until things get comfortable. Don't wait until you die and expect your children to do it for you. Be generous now. Obey what God calls you to do now. Second Corinthians chapter nine is one of my favorite passages in regards to generosity or giving of any kind. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth about the gift that is going to the Jerusalem church, he speaks to a church who uh, is destitute, but who is c- incredibly excited to give with great generosity in the midst of their meager incomes. Second Corinthians chapter nine and beginning of verse 15. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see how he's changing the language there. You want seed to sow and bread for food, but there is one who will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. This gift of giving is not merely, is not just money. Money is just the object. It's a heart that is important. Where's a heart in giving? Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, which is all we think of when we regard money, supplying the need of the saints, but it is also, verse 12, overflowing in many thanksgivings to God by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Because God has given to you an incredible gift in the person of His Son, Jesus, you can give of what God has given to you so that you can be generous to help supply their needs. But more importantly, that now, all of a sudden, so many people are giving thanks to God for all that has been given. When you get help for a need that you have, somebody helps and supplies a need for you, all of a sudden now you are filled with thanksgiving, and you might share that with other people. You'll never believe we had this massive medical bill and people came together, or our church provided, or this happened. And isn't it incredible? Isn't God amazing in how he supplies our needs? Now, guess what? Instead of one person who goes, yippee, that was so fun. I'm so glad I have that bill off my neck and I can get the creditors to quit calling me. Now you've got 200 people who are rejoicing with you and thanking God for the gift that somebody else gave. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. As he writes and says, all of this is about a much grander story. It's not just about a gift that was given to me but it's for your sanctification that you grow in holiness and also that many thanks are given to God, that we get a glimpse of the bigger story of all that God is doing. So that at the end of the day, it's not about the $5 you put into or the $1,000 you put into the basket, but it's about God working in you and bringing thanks to His name, glory to His name, ultimately. Because at the end of all time, that's what all things are pointing to. So don't you see it, Christian? Your money does so much more than get you things or make you feel secure. When you give money to the kingdom of God, you're reaping a harvest of righteousness, growing in generosity in a host of ways, not just with money. So many people thanking God for the gift someone gave and God is being glorified. All of that God allows to happen through yours and my meager monies. The amount is not the issue, but our heart is. Do you want to glorify God with your life? Then give how God is leading you to give. Pray about the amount or percentage. Talk to a pastor, an elder. Learn from a godly example of someone you know. Don't talk with a church curmudgeon. Don't talk with a stingy, grouchy person. You know what you're going to get, and it's not going to be a harvest of righteousness. Talk with someone who says, you know, we didn't think we could give that kind of a percentage of our income, but God was faithful again and again to provide. Every month, every need. It wasn't easy, and I could sure think of a whole lot of other things to spend that money on. But God calls us to give, give and we gave, and He provided. If you give, and a desperate need arises in your life, and your family, you pray. And you ask God to provide. And when he does, the thanks is to him, and we give him the glory for it. But if we're not currently giving, or very rarely we'll give and open up our hands, clutching it off of our monies, only when the stars align just right, and you remember to bring your checkbook, right? But then you have a need. You may pray about it, but you might also be able to just fork out the cash for it because you're not regularly giving anyway. And so you have extra in your account because you don't give. And while you can pay your own bills and get that, you lost an opportunity to be reminded of your neediness before God or dependence on the Lord and the gospel. What we're saying again and again is it's a much bigger issue than what your balance is like in your account. Give and bring glory to God. Give and bring glory to God and continue to grow in your faith. Money is not awkward to talk about when you hold it loosely, but it becomes awkward or we might get hot or angry over it, knowing that deep down we know we ought to be obeying the Lord as he commands us to in that area. Number four, giving keeps you from being isolated. What? I'm not I'm not joking. It's right here. Look, verse 21, giving keeps you from being isolated. Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul has the occasion to write this church and to say, greet those who are around you. All these people are greeting you, church, because they gave him a gift. Because they sent him a gift, they're now invested in Paul's life. And Paul now writes them. What about the other churches? Uh, What about there's no letter in the Bible to the Laodiceans? No letter in the Bible to the Bereans or the church in Thyatira? No letter given to us like Philippians. But those in Philippi got a letter. Their gifts to Paul shows their partnership with him. And he sees that as a relationship and communicates with them. We do this all the time. When we send out thank you cards for a gift that somebody gave to us. If I don't go to your wedding or your event and I don't give you a gift, I'm not sitting at home pining away for a thank you card. I did nothing to deserve one. That doesn't mean that we expect thank you cards on the other end, but if all of a sudden I do invest in someone, and I invest deeply in their product or their business or who they are or a project they're doing, the more I invest, the more I should expect to hear about it. The more I should expect time-wise, I'm now involved with them. They're gonna come to me and ask me. They're gonna say, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, we're doing this, we're so excited. We wanted to share with those who care. The same is true for our time. The more time you invest with someone, the more you get to know them, the more they will contact you. Know that you care for them and so on and so on. This partnership Paul has with the church is there because they gave and they invested in him. They're investing themselves in someone else, in something bigger than themselves, and that reaps relationships. This past week, I stayed with an elderly couple in Birmingham, Alabama, while I was there for a class. I stayed with them for four nights, and they were complete strangers. I'd never met them before, uh, the only connection that I had with them was that they loved to host pastors and missionaries and signed up when they heard students from Westminster were coming. <laughs> They're in their 80s. He was 89. After I left, I gave him a thank you card. I sent them a link to see pictures of my family that we had done. I got pictures from them of their grand dog, and I got an offer. If I'm ever in Birmingham with my family to come again and look them up. It was incredibly delightful to spend those days with them. The church they go to in Birmingham, where the conference was at, numbers in the thousands. But I only know three people at that church now. And two of them were the ones I stayed with. Annette and Campbell. Another is a guy who offered to be my prayer partner for the week. He's praying for us. He's praying for my family. And his name is Nathan. Those are the three people that I know from that church of 4,000 people. Why? Because they took some of their time and invested it. Because they gave me a gift of time, of space, of hospitality. They gave and partnered. And now there is less isolation for me if I ever go to Birmingham. <laughs> I was telling Sarah, it's the first time I've ever been there in 42 years, I'm not likely to go again. I mean, just the odds of it, right? But if I did, I know there are Christians in Birmingham, and they know of a Christian in Washington. And all of a sudden, because of partnering and of giving, there is less isolation. Number five, giving comes from and precedes the saving works of God. Giving comes from and precedes the saving works of God. Giving comes from the heart of Christians. As God works in us by his Spirit to give, we give. As we are obedient to him, we give. We know he has moved in us to give a certain amount, we give. And for Christians, normally, we find delight in that, to be able to see the grace of God that calls us to give and we obey. We love obeying our Lord and our Savior. We love it. We are angry with ourselves, fit to be tied when we disobey. Christians, giving comes from the heart. As we are moved by God to do so, Christians, giving allows ministry to be done that brings people to faith. And so, giving comes from the saving works of God, from those that are Christians, have a heart that has been transformed and want to give now. Whereas before we might have been this with our money, now we're this. We're loosened up our grip and we're willing to give as God leads us to. And giving, Christians giving, allows ministry to be done and people to come to faith. The work that Brett and Anna are doing in Austria is because people have partnered with them, this church and many others, and many of you individually, to give to them. And so when they see someone come to faith because of the work done in Austria, you and I get to partner with that. And that is a work that is done, the saving works of God that comes from giving. It's incredibly powerful, how God allows us to partner with one another all across the globe for the work of his kingdom. Now people do not come to faith because of money. Certainly not, but God uses it to provide for missionaries, for you, for me, for others to go and share the work of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And that has been done in part by your giving. As God calls you to be faithful, God works in it in ways that you and I could never even imagine. Only Christians give with no strings attached. Only Christians give with no motive other than to please God and to obey Him. Christians ought not give for a tax benefit. They ought not to give to try and earn anything. Christians give joyfully, with hands open, sacrificially. Give more than their financial advisor thinks is wise. Calls them crazy, maybe. Christians know they live according to a different economy, a kingdom economy. Giving comes from and precedes the saving works of God. We see this in verse twenty-two. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You remember, as we talked in the beginning and several times throughout, this letter is written to the church as Paul is in prison in Rome. And the one who leads Rome is Caesar. There's none higher than Caesar, right? So as Paul says to the church as he's writing to them, saying, thank you for the gift. I hope that the gospel has continued to go forward. You live your lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus. That's my prayer for you, church. He also reminds them in chapter one that as the gospel continues to go forward and advance, it's advancing right here in prison. And that's incredible. And the church is probably like, "Man, that's amazing. It's, he's talking to the prisoners. And this is so great. The guards are hearing it as well. He even mentioned something about the Praetorium Guard and those who are believers as well. And this is amazing. But not only that, but the partnership the church in Philippi has with him has reached to the place where in Caesar's own household, at the apex of what is happening to put down the Christians, those people who would seem otherwise, there's no way somebody from that household is coming to faith. Paul at the end of his letter Sticks in, I think, this sneaky little phrase. All the saints greet you, especially those saints who are found in Caesar's own household. That within the top family in this area, in all of Rome, where it might seem the gospel cannot penetrate, it has. And there are those who belong to Christ in Caesar's own household. Take faith, brothers and sisters. The gospel is advancing. Take faith and give as God has called you to give. Take faith. Trust in him and trust in his word. Paul may now be in prison, as D.A. Carson says. Paul may be in prison at Caesar's pleasure, but the gospel has penetrated Caesar's household. I read one of these liturgies on finishing a book. Let me read just a part of one as he writes on giving as we close In truth, I have nothing but you, O Christ, nothing that I might call my own. So let that good confession now compel a better stewardship. First, teach me to treasure you, Jesus, above all things. Then let that increasing devotion be increasingly demonstrated in a joyful generosity. For to give is to live out the declaration that you alone are my provision and supply. I need not fear what comes tomorrow. When I give to meet the needs of others, when I give to the work of those who serve the poor, the sick, the oppressed, when I give to the service of your body and your kingdom, I give not what is mine, but only what is already yours. With every charitable act, I'm simply practicing the fact that nothing which passes through my hands has ever belonged to me. You are my generous master. Make me faithful, your faithful trustee teaching me to live as a wiser conduit of this liberal grace, learning to hold loosely the things of this world, never hoarding that which is yours, never seeking the mean preservation of my own comforts. Rather, let me love well in my giving, even as you, O Father, have loved me so well by giving me all things in Christ. May the gospel continue to transform us, even in the area of our giving. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father, this is uh, not necessarily needing to be anything awkward, but it is still hard. It is certainly hard when looking uh, at the future, when watching, giving statements uh, or financial things, looking at our economy and all of those other numbers and things. It can be really hard. So I pray, Father, you do as we just asked from your word that you would strengthen our faith that you would continue to help us to trust you with everything that we have. We prayed this for the Dish family as they trust you with their daughter. May we trust you with our children, with our time, with our resources. That Father, we would see the, the goodness of what you do as we open ourselves and give ourselves to you wholly. And sometimes most poignantly, that's shown in the scriptures by our money. Money isn't everything but it sort of stands as a real uh, litmus test of our heart and where we are in regards to you. So, Father, this morning I pray that those who do give and give sacrificially, you would continue to tell them, well done, good and faithful servant. That, Father, you would continue to commend them for their obedience in one area and maybe chastise us in areas of obedience needed in other areas. And for those who need to grow in the grace of giving, that, Father, you would continue to work in them to do just that, to see the beauty of what it looks like to give as you lead them to, to be submissive and obedient to your will. And to not give because they've been cajoled or uh, guilted into it, but to give joyfully because you have given them everything. And, Father, to the ones who have never come to see anything that you have ever given to them at all, the ones who feel lost, because they feel hopeless and empty, have nothing to live for, nothing to hold on to. Father, would you this morning show them the beauty of the gospel? Would you open their eyes to see Jesus, who is high and lifted up, the Holy Son of God, who came and gave his life for them, who said, you don't come to me and pay anything for this. I give this all freely to you, offering life eternal, which money cannot buy. Father, would you continue to help us as your people to live according to your word, trusting in you and growing in faith. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.